Welcome to Cyber Threat, Real Answers to Real Problems, a new podcast series from ServiceNow. I'm Bob Bragdon, Senior Vice President and Publisher of CSO. I'm joined today by Piero DePali, Senior Director for Security and Risk at ServiceNow. Welcome, Piero. Great to speak with you again, Bob. Today, we're going to talk about cybercrime, and in particular, how the financial services and healthcare industries are handling the threats. I'd like to start by introducing a key point from a new global survey from Poneman and ServiceNow, which surveyed nearly 3,000 cybersecurity professionals. In the past two years, 48% of companies have experienced a data breach, and the volume of cyber attacks continues to increase. Today, we're going to explore a subset of these findings, focusing on stats from two specific verticals, financial services and healthcare. Piero? Yes, before we dive into the financial services and healthcare cut, I think it's important we go over the broader context first, especially if you missed one of our earlier episodes in this podcast series. So first, publicized breaches are really the tip of the iceberg. The survey was conducted in nine countries hitting just under 3,000 people and included organizations that had about 1,000 people or more. And half of them had a data breach. You know, this is significantly higher than what gets reported in the news all the time. You know, the, the damage to brand reputation can be catastrophic, particularly with consumers, and the economic impact of these can be really serious. You know, even for a breach as little as 10,000 records, the cost on average is you know, $2.8 million. And if you were to scale that to millions of records, the bottom line here can be enormous. You know, the, the second point is that, that as hackers are accelerating their attacks, you know, 54% of the people surveyed said that they saw hackers using things like automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to attack them. And third, unpatched software vulnerabilities were the leading cause of breaches. 57% of the respondents said that that their data breaches were primarily caused by unpatched vulnerabilities. But get this, 34% actually knew they had these software vulnerabilities and simply hadn't patched it yet. This is why patching is so important but keeping everything patched while keeping systems available for people to use isn't as easy as it sounds, especially when you're dealing with tens of thousands of systems and potentially millions of vulnerable items. You know, and the bottom line here is that organizations spend a ton of time looking at the newest security technologies to protect against the most advanced cyber crimes, but they could dramatically improve their risk profile by focusing on the basics and just getting better at patching. Isn't that the truth? So overall, here's what we found when comparing the financial services sector versus the healthcare sector. They both had similar responses in regards to breaches. I think among financial services respondents, 45% had one or more breaches in the past couple of years. Among healthcare respondents, 50% have had one or more breaches over those past two years. Now, this is in keeping with the overall survey findings, which you just cited, that 48% of all businesses have experienced a breach over that same period. What are your thoughts on this, Piero? Well, I think that this first shows us that no industry is immune to this. You know, it's pretty obvious to me that financial institutions and healthcare organizations would get targeted really because of the data they hold. You know, attacking a financial institution is going to typically be about getting access to financial records or stealing money. You know, and attacking a healthcare organization is going to be about stealing medical information about uh, person, persons, or even the physicians. Uh, you know, this data could then be sold as part of the broader underground economy for identity theft. But, you know, I was surprised that when looking across all the industry surveyed, the data was really nearly all the same, right around that 48 to 50 percent mark. 
you know, and really within the margin of error for the size of the, the survey. But I do suspect that financial services and healthcare organizations were attacked significantly more often than those other industries simply because of the value of the data they hold. You know, if we would have asked a question in the survey about the number of attacks stopped or pure volume of attacks, we might have seen numbers that were significantly higher. You know, and healthcare organizations, and in particular financial services organizations, likely actually stopped a dramatically higher percentage of, of those attacks. But when it comes to how many times they actually had an attack go through, you know, when you ask a question on how many times in the last two years, you know, 50% of them all came back and said that they had a data breach in the last couple of years. But, you know, when we dive into the particular findings, we discover that financial services firms are, are, are better at handling those breaches. First, they're less dependent on the manual processes. Only 55% of financial service firms use email and spreadsheets to manage the patch process versus 63% of healthcare organizations. Secondly, financial services firms are also more aware of known patch-related risks. 47% of them are breached due to an, unexp uh, an unpatched known vulnerability versus 58% for healthcare organizations. Neither are stellar, but there's a clear difference. So, Pierre, what's your take on those findings? Well, I think this is really the first place where we started to see some real differences in the data where the data for financial services companies and healthcare organizations really started to separate from the rest of the pack, and actually where financial services started to separate even a bit from the healthcare side. So maybe let's start with you know, how those most organizations are actually handling the patching process. And we talked about emails and spreadsheets. There's a few things that, that happened before there. You know, they typically have a commercially available vulnerability scanner. It scans all those known devices on the network as well as discovers new devices on the network, and then it scans for a set of known vulnerabilities. You know, and these you know, vulnerability management products do a really nice job of, of finding all those vulnerabilities. But the next step is, you know, what do they do with the data once they get it? You know, they, they're typically going to take all the results, look for the most critical vulnerabilities using the CVE or the, you know, known as the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposure Description, and then use the CVSS, or Common Vulnerability Scoring System, score, which gives it a number on how severe it is. They'll then take those most critical ones, take the scores along with the, the IP address of the system that has the vulnerability, and dump it into the best data repository they have, which is a spreadsheet. And then they take that spreadsheet, <laughs> and they want to go hand it over to the patching team. And what do they do with that? They use the best communication tool they have, which is email. So you essentially have one team that's found the vulnerabilities who throws it over the wall to another team and it sits in an alias or in someone's inbox until they decide to do something about it. But if, but if you, you put the entire, like put the entire topic aside for a second, this is kind of exactly what we do in our daily lives. When we're overwhelmed with data, we put it into a spreadsheet. It could be things like sorting through a list of people to invite to, to a party you know, organizing a family calendar or schedule or even managing chores around the house. This is exactly what's happened to organizations in the patching process. You know, the volume of vulnerabilities and systems uh, has just skyrocketed, but the staffing hasn't really grown at that same rate. These processes are entirely manual for most organizations, but we have seen financial institutions be less dependent on these types of manual process which has helped them be better at this than healthcare organizations and, frankly, all the industries at large. Before we continue with our conversation, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. Cyber Threat, Real Answers to Real Problems. 
reports on the latest statistics and news around cybersecurity and is presented by CIO.com in partnership with ServiceNow. To learn more, visit ServiceNow.com. Now back to the show. So, Piero, we also discovered, probably not too surprisingly, that financial services firms dedicate significantly more resources towards cybersecurity. Their average headcount is 48 versus 22 for healthcare. 57% of them anticipate a headcount increase for patching in the next 12 months versus only 43% for healthcare. Across all security positions, 71% of financial services organizations are planning to add headcount in the next 12 months versus 60% for healthcare. And finally, financial services firms will add an average of 5.14 full-time employees versus 3.69 FTEs for healthcare. What's that say to you, Piero? Yeah, well, so first, the, the statistics are, are actually about, or they're very specific to the vulnerability management and the patching process, not general overall staffing. So those percentages and numbers are very specific to the people that are finding vulnerabilities and doing the patching work. And it's really clear that financial services institutions are significantly better funded for this. And you know, I think it's pretty easy to understand what they're protecting. It's a bunch of money, and and uh, and people people's financial information. <laughs> um, but you know, security organizations in financial institutions tend to be more mature, and they're also earlier adopters of newer technologies, as they're really you know they're likely to get targeted more than others, and they really want to stay ahead of it. The more interesting part of the data for me was actually on future staffing. You know, in general, all the industries indicated that they were going to have an increase of, of staffing for patching for about 50% the next 12 months. You know, but both financial services and healthcare staffing was predicted to be higher. You know, with that 71% number for financial institutions and 60% for for healthcare. I think this is actually really great news for consumers. You know, with these just these two important industries that you know everybody listening probably has some relationship with one or many of these types of organizations and can hopefully result in better protection for all of us across those different industries. But the financial impact is much more severe for healthcare than it is for financial services. When we looked at the cost per record at financial services firms, it's two hundred and six dollars, but at healthcare firms it's four hundred and eight dollars, nearly twice as much. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I think this is really about the, the type of data. and the, the type of data here really matters, and it represents what people are willing to pay for it. You know, having money stolen or a credit card number stolen is no fun for everybody, but there are protections for most of this. You know, money can generally be replaced, but for healthcare, these records are unique and not replaceable. You know, a credit card number can be voided, a transaction canceled, and you know, if you've ever had this happen to you as a consumer, you know, a lot of times the, the, you know, the fraudulent charge is actually reversed, and there are actually no consequences to you as the as a consumer right. of this happening. But if you look at at healthcare, I mean, there are significantly more consequences because a healthcare record just simply can't be replaced. There's no you, you can't void it and start, and start over. It's it's a healthcare record of, about you, and so there's significantly more value on that because especially when it get, turns into something that's used as the basis for doing some identity theft. Mm -hmm. So we have time for one last question. Carol, what are the key takeaways for IT and security pros here? So I think first is that you know, breaches are a boardroom issue now, and I think CISOs have a real opportunity to change things as 
they, they become a topic that they need to talk about in quarterly board meetings. So I'd, I'd really recommend the following. The, the first thing is take a real unbiased look at where you are today in this patching process. You know, evaluate how you stack up in, in, in patching vulnerabilities. Look for some problem areas and prioritize them based on the risks they create. The next one would be to look for places to make a real impact with not a lot of effort. Look for small things so you can start to see some benefit right away. The third, and maybe the most important one, is breaking down barriers between security and IT. You know, as you, when you're able to combine security and IT data, you're able to create the foundation for a more effective vulnerability response and, and, and patching process. You know, for example, this is going to allow for significantly better prioritization because IT has rich information about what an asset is, while the vulnerability team knows what the most vulnerable items are. Combine that to those two pieces of data, and you know exactly what you should go patch first based on the severity of the problem and the impact it can have to you. The other thing about breaking down the barrier between security and IT, it'll also ensure that patching requests are sent to the right place, not dumped into a spreadsheet and thrown over the wall via email. The fourth one, as you get really good at these processes, look for places to optimize and potentially automate. If you've got an end-to-end process, there are probably steps where the answer is the same or nearly the same every time. Maybe there's a set of characteristics that allow you to automatically take actions as opposed to waiting for a human to get involved. And then finally, you know, as you're doing all this work, you know, you can use these advances to create a high-performance culture, you know, where you know, satisfaction uh, from the employees is going to be you know, significantly higher. I don't, I don't think anybody got into security to cut and paste things from one system into a spreadsheet and send an email and wait for someone to go and do work. You know, as, with the, the net negative unemployment that we see in the security industry, this can be a great way to start to retain staff as well as attract staff because you're doing work that's going to be more valuable as opposed to you know, dumping information in the spreadsheets and sending something over to another team and hoping that they're going to do something with it. So def- definitely mm-hmm. look, look at those areas, but, th- but using automation as a system can really, really help. Great. Well, thanks, Peter. That's some great advice. And thanks for listening to today's episode of Cyber Threat, Real Answers to Real Problems. Be sure to join us for additional episodes by subscribing to the IDG Tech Talk channel on SoundCloud and iTunes. For ServiceNow and CSO, I'm Bob Ragnick.